0: Hello readers, my name is Jason Jefferies, and this is a bookend brought to you by Quail Ridge Books, Raleigh, North Carolina's trusted community bookstore. My guest today is Carissa Velis. She is associate professor at the Faculty of Philosophy and the Institute for Ethics and AI at the University of Oxford. Her book is Privacy is Power, Why and How You Should Take Back Control of Your Data which is published by our friends at Melville House Publishing. Carissa, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Jason.
0: It is an honor to have you here, Carissa. And all right, uh, where do we start here? Uh, Privacy is a very large concern of mine and should be a concern of everyone's. Uh, The folks who are not concerned about it, I'm not really sure what they're thinking, uh, but we will get to all of this first, Carissa. You write. Quote, the data economy and the ubiquitous surveillance on which it feeds took us by surprise. Tech companies did not inform users of how our data was being used, much less ask for our permission. They did not ask our governments either. There were no laws to regulate the data trail left behind by unsuspecting citizens as we went about our business in an increasingly digital world. By the time we realized it was happening, the surveillance architecture, was already in place. Much of our privacy was gone. End quote. And Chris, and my question is, how is this okay? Why have tech companies been allowed to get away with this?
1: It's not okay. Yeah. And um, right. tech companies have been allowed to get away with it for a few reasons. Mm-hmm. The first one is that nobody knew what they were doing. So, mm-hmm. and and they were very careful not to tell anyone because they knew <laughs> that it was dodgy. They knew that people might get uncomfortable and ask questions Um, so they chose to take an approach of let's do what we want and then see what happens and nothing happened Mm
2: -hmm.
1: (laughs) and so that's one thing the other thing is once governments realized what was happening for instance in in the United States the Federal Trade Commission recommended to Congress to regulate privacy much along the lines of the GDPR in Europe So they recommended things like, well, people should know what kind of data companies have on them. They should be able to access that data. They should be able to correct it if if something's incorrect or inaccurate, and they should be able to ask for the data to be deleted, et cetera. And then 9-11 happened. Mm -hmm. And the United States, with, I think, good intentions, figured, well, what if we just make a copy of that data and then try to use it for security purposes to make sure that that something like 9-11 cannot ever happen again.
2: Mm.
1: Now, unfortunately, it turns out that big data is just not the kind of method that is good at preventing terrorism. Mm. And it also just turns out to be the case that privacy is very important for liberal democracies, Mm. such that by implementing such a um, kind of massive surveillance system, you are actually endangering democracy and endangering citizens in ways that were not very obvious at that time. Mm. So once governments wanted to make a copy of the data, of course they didn't have a reason to regulate these companies and then as this, as, the, as the data economy grew it just became more and more profitable to have that data such that companies that didn't have data before that, or that, that didn't think of themselves As a company that traded in data, started figuring, well, why not? We have all these users. We can just ask for more data, and then we'll figure out what we do with it. Sometimes they don't even know what to do with it, uh, Mm. but they have it as backup, say, in case they run into financial trouble. They can always sell that.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you, uh, Carissa. And because we are a podcast presented by a bookstore, being recorded in a bookstore right now. I have to ask, um, it seems like for many decades, you talk about this later in your book, the book 1984 by George Orwell was a book that scared people. Uh, The idea that Big Brother was watching was scary. The idea that you may be in the Soviet Union, for example, or China and the secret police may be listening to the conversations you were having in your home was scary and now people are not only inviting these listening devices into their homes but paying premium prices for them and carissa what changed why do people think i've got nothing to hide makes it okay for these companies to harvest their data and private conversations and sell this data for profit profit i might add that the person whose data is being harvested sees not a penny of
1: Yeah, it's bizarre, isn't it, when you look at it with that perspective? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: One reason is that part of why 1984 was so scary was that it was a government. Mm -hmm. So I think particularly in countries like the United States, there has been a lot of suspicion about government surveillance, not so much about corporate surveillance. Mm -hmm. And of course, the realization that corporate surveillance and government surveillance is one and the same, and that they have such close ties that you can't really in any realistic way, distinguish them, uh, came years after the fact. So I think partly people thought, well, you know, what do I care if company X knows what kind of music I like or what kind of books I buy or or, or something like that? Because of course, companies don't have certain abilities that the state has. They don't have the ability to arrest you. And that makes a Mm -hmm. difference in theory. In practice, if the data goes back and forth between government and companies, then um, it ends up not, not actually making a difference. Another reason is that tech companies were incredibly successful in peddling a certain kind of narrative. Mm. Tech companies are successful in many ways. Of course, they're very rich. um, They've come up with amazing gadgets and stuff. But I would say like, their number one success is in the narrative, is in the story they tell us about ourselves, about the role of technology in society, and so on. And, And part of that story was that privacy was something of the past that we didn't need it anymore, that wasn't relevant anymore. And of course, by the time we realized that we were being surveilled, tech companies could say, well, but we've been doing it for 10 years and look how, you know, how much fun we've had together. And Mm. uh, look how convenient this this system is. Nothing bad has happened. So, you know, what's the fuss about? And of course, one of the misleading things about surveillance and privacy is that the bad effects of losses of privacy tend to come way after the actual loss of privacy. So it's years after the fact when your identity has been stolen or when uh, you have been denied a job or a loan or when democracy is eroded or eroding that we realize, well, maybe we should have been more careful. But it's not immediate. So in in the book, I call it... um, I call surveillance a poison, but it's a slow acting poison, and that's part of why it's it's difficult to convince people to be careful.
0: Yeah, right. Thank you so much. Um, and you write that too many of those acquiring our data want it for nefarious purposes. Um, what are some of these nefarious purposes?
1: So there's a broad spectrum. Um, from the kind of legal purposes, but that you might think maybe are dodgy, like for instance, um, putting personalized prices on things such that if you and I search for the same flight, we'll end up paying different prices depending on whether the algorithm thinks we really wanted and how much, how rich we are, you know, depending on what kind of laptop we're using and so on. And um, to the kind of Ill- illegal. Uses, But that are very hard to police. So, for instance, I worry a lot about discrimination because mm-hmm. we are giving prospective employers a whole lot of data that they don't need and that they shouldn't have about people mm-hmm. like what religion they practice, like what's the, their political tendencies and um, their sexual orientation. And when you get denied unemployment, of course the company will say there was someone else who was more uh, appropriate for the job. But how can you be sure that you weren't discriminated against when these companies have this data? Um, Other nefarious purposes include, obviously, in, in the illegal realm, things like identity theft and extortion and public humiliation and so on. And then we have foreign actors who want this data. So a country like Russia or China or North Korea or a future rival might want this data for a few reasons. One is they want to train their algorithms such that they work well on our population um, and that can give them an advantage in intelligence in in many ways. They might use that data to pit citizens against one another. So um, a country that is against democracy will see itself as benefiting from undermining civility and kind of civic friendship in a society that defends democracy. Mm -hmm. So some of the techniques that, for instance, Russian trolls have used is to identify people who are feeling not very well, who are feeling kind of suspicious, who are worried about the political situation, and expose them to content that makes them feel like their citizens are against people like them. Uh, and so there have been cases for instance in which two two different groups protest against one another in a city, and both of those groups were actually organized by Russian trolls in the United mm-hmm. States in Texas so so it's 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 really it, it's real. Things happen in the world mm-hmm. when uh, foreign powers use, use this data. And then, of course, you can use personal data to hack not only individuals, which could lead, to, again, to extortion. And if we think that our public officials could be extorted, that, that's a, a worry of national security and so on. But you could also use it to hack um, companies that have very sensitive data or that have access to government data. And we, have, we are seeing more and more of those hacks. Um, and we're seeing how n- now that Ukraine is being invaded by Russia, um, some of the war is being carried out in in cyberspace.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, I want to present a scenario here. So I go to sleep at night. I play a white noise app on my phone while I'm sleeping. I set an alarm also on my phone. When I wake up, the alarm goes off. The first thing I do is pick up my phone to turn it off. And then I might check my email, see if I have any mixed text messages, etc. What else am I doing by picking up my phone first thing in the morning? What signals am I sending?
1: You are sending a signal of how much you slept and possibly how well you slept, depending mm. on the kind of apps you have and the kind of use you make of your phone. Say say you woke up in the middle of the night and you were worrying about whether you'll, you'll be able to make that payment for a loan or whether um, you know that disease that's been worrying you might have grave consequences or about your family member or whatever, and you search for it. That mm. tells companies that you, that whatever you search for is really worrying you, that you're not sleeping well. Mm-hmm. um when you wake up of course we we get a sense of how many hours you slept and that can be interesting for insurance companies and all sorts of other um companies like prospective employers as well um you are telling all sorts of institutions who you sleep with because the person you sleep next to probably has their phone with them as well um you are telling uh, people about your habits about um, where you live, of course, location, where you go to work. Um, Say you you shop online, or even if you don't shop online, you probably have a credit card. And the the thing to take into account is that all this data gets aggregated. So you are telling companies about your eating habits, um, your drinking habits. Once you get into your car, you're telling companies about um, how, f- how well you drive, how fast you drive. Um, it's really astonishing how much you can know about a person. You can know about a person much more than their friends and possibly more than their spouse. And in many cases, more than themselves because our memories are very fickle. If I, if I ask you, know, what were you thinking about three weeks ago at 3 p.m.? You probably have no idea, but your phone does. Mm-hmm. And, and whoever got that data does.
0: Yeah, for sure. Thank you, uh, Carissa. I now want to ask you about smart televisions. Uh, You write that you have data that proves that one Samsung smart TV had connected to more than 700 distinct internet addresses after being used for 15 minutes. What addresses is this TV connecting to? What's going on here?
1: Well, that's part of the problem. We don't know. So mm-hmm. we, we can see that this TV sends data. Um, but we d- we don't know who's behind those companies and what do they do. A lot of it is marketing, mm-hmm. uh, which sounds innocuous. But of course, those companies end up selling the data to someone else. And, and at the end of the day, the highest bidder can access that data.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And of course, the highest bidder might not be the institution or company that has your best interest at heart. It probably mm-hmm. isn't. Um, and, and part of the problem is how obscure it all is when a user turns on their Samsung TV or, an, or a different smart TV, they don't see this happening. Mm. And you, you, you have to not only read the privacy policies, but even if you read them, let's say even if you understand them, which are two big ifs, they're very vague. So a TV saying that they'll send your conversations to third parties isn't informative at all to make... Mm a good decision and a conscious decision
0: mm-hmm. yeah is it a safe assumption that other samsung devices are performing in the same way like a samsung galaxy phone for example
1: i don't know i would, I would have to look at the studies um but any phone that has apps on them and that connects to a cell phone tower and so on and so forth is mm-hmm. giving off enough data to make us very worried
0: yeah uh, what type of phone would you recommend for someone who is concerned about protecting their privacy
1: so it depends on who you are and why you're concerned so let's let's say that um somebody asked me who is i don't know in in a country that's not very democratic and they might be a dissident or an activist or a journalist Mm. the recommendation would be no phone (laughs) Mm -hmm. or a a burner phone that you can change often Um, Mm. of course for for many people that's not practicable, and and that's not what what I practice myself and not what I encourage. Mm -hmm. Um, So you want a phone by a company that on the one hand doesn't have ties to problematic governments who ask for data. So notoriously the Chinese government Mm -hmm. asks uh, for access to data. You want a phone that is not built by a company that trades in personal data or that earns its keep um, with personal data. Because they will always have a conflict of interest. So most of say what Google earns, they earn through personalized ads. And that means that they really want that data. Mm. So if you if you buy a product from them, they will always be tempted to gain access to that data. Mm. Um, and then, you know, once that is, is is taken into consideration, then you buy the safest phone that you Possibly can you kind of do a search? I don't want to um, advertise any particular company sure. because you you know you never know, and, and and none of them are saints. But then the the real difference that you can make is what kind of apps you use. Mm-hmm. So instead of using an app like WhatsApp that is clearly um, owned by Facebook, again a company that earns their keep through personal data, mm-hmm. and one one useful thing is the privacy labels that Apple has been using. Mm -hmm. Uh, Of course, there are problems with it. Many times apps can lie Mm -hmm. and they can find loopholes and so on. But if you compare the data that's being collected by an app like Signal, which is an alternative to WhatsApp versus WhatsApp, just just looking at the the length of the list is informative already. Mm -hmm. Signal just collects one piece of data whereas WhatsApp collects, I don't know how many, but about a dozen or more. Um, that is enough to, uh, to help you make a decision.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Thank you, Carissa. Listeners, we are going to take a short break for a word from our sponsor. And then I will be right back with Carissa Belize. The book and podcast is sponsored by Libro FM audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore, Quail Ridge Books. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price that's the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Listeners of Bookin' can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O.fm and enter Bookin, B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'm back with Carissa Belis, author of Privacy is Power Why and How You Should Take Back Control of Your Data, which is published by our friends at Melville House Publishing. Carissa, I would now like to talk about Facebook. Uh, You write that Facebook has violated our right to privacy so many times that a comprehensive account would merit a book in itself. Can you tell us about a few ways? that Facebook has exploited user data without permission?
1: Sure. There there are so many ways that it's really hard to keep up with them. And they change all the time. The policies change. Um, But a few ways have been... So sometimes when you have uploaded pictures to Facebook, Mm -hmm. uh, Facebook has been using facial recognition on them, even when you probably didn't know about it. Mm -hmm. Of course, a very famous and egregious case was the Cambridge Analytica case. That was just one case among many. This was like the worst case that we know about. But the principle there was that uh, companies and, and researchers of all kinds could get data very easily that they shouldn't have had access to. One example is they could get data of friends Uh, of people on Facebook. So say I gave permission to this company to to collect my data, they they could not only collect my data, but data about all my friends who have not given any kind of consent and didn't have knowledge. And that's how Cambridge Analytica came to have the data of 87 million people on Facebook. Um, Another example, at some point they asked users for their phone numbers as a two-factor authentication method, which is a very good idea for security. And it turns out that they used this phone number um, for marketing purposes. And then they apologized and and they said it was a mistake. Mm -hmm. Another example is when they first bought WhatsApp, they promised that the data from WhatsApp wasn't going to be used uh, by Facebook and that they were going to maintain a separation. And a few years later, they they broke that promise. So it just goes on and on and on. Uh, It's a company that has had so many scandals.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and probably the likelihood that uh, politicians and such can step in and, um, and get it under control is slim because Facebook has all of their data, too. Um, so it's a vicious cycle. Well, thank you, uh, Carissa. For our listeners, can you explain what is a dark ad?
1: A dark ad is an ad that is only seen by the person who is the target of that ad and of course by the by the institution or person who's showing that ad but it's not a public ad so in the past say politicians mm-hmm. had a few ads that they would show to the public And we could all see them and then we could discuss them and journalists could uh, criticize them and academics would weigh in and ordinary people would uh, also weigh in and then we could all make our, our minds as to you know what kind of person this politician is and what they're proposing but today if you use dark ads that means that you use ads that no other politician or no journalist or no academic is ever going to see such Mm. that you kind of splinter the public sphere in a way that really stops conversation because we're not seeing the same thing, so we can't discuss it. So, for instance, in the case of the Trump campaign uh, with Mm. Cambridge Analytica, they used six million different ads based Mm. on whatever personalities people had and and targeted them in in particular. Mm. And, of course, we didn't get a, a public debate about them because journalists didn't have access to them. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, if a journalist were to ask Facebook to let them see these 6 million ads and what an absurd number that is, um, will Facebook allow them to see them?
1: No, and um, this has been a point of debate with Facebook that often, not only journalists, but also researchers have asked, asked Facebook for different kinds of data mm-hmm. and Facebook doesn't give it to them with the excuse that they want to protect privacy. Yeah. Now, a few years ago, they changed somewhat their mind about that and they mm-hmm. opened an um, archive for ads such that g- journalists and researchers could um, get access to them. Mm-hmm. But journalists complain that it's, that it's hopeless, that it's very mm-hmm. difficult to use, that it doesn't bring up what it's supposed to, and that it, it hasn't promised. It hasn't delivered what it had promised.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much, Uh, Carissa. I want to switch gears for a moment. What are some ways in which a person may be handing over someone else's private data, a friend or a family member, for example, without their awareness?
1: What are some cases
0: yeah, or some examples of like how you may be handing over data of a friend or family member without their awareness, or maybe without you even realizing that you're doing so.
1: So one example is when people do DNA tests mm-hmm. um, for for fun. Um, they use a commercial institution, and they get sent this this um, what are they called the home DNA test. Kids, mm-hmm. and they send back their saliva uh, to figure out like where they their ancestors came from and that kind of thing. And of course, you're giving up the genetic data not only of your parents, siblings, children, cousins, but also very distant kin who maybe you've never met and you'll never meet, but they can still suffer consequences like being denied life insurance in in the United States. Mm-hmm. Another example is whenever you give away data about your location, you give away data about the people who share that location. So typically Mm -hmm. the people who live with you or work next to you. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Whenever you upload a picture of other people, of course, um, you are giving up their data. And many times faces are used to train algorithms, and sometimes algorithms that, that you wouldn't want your face to be trained on. So for example, algorithm China has trained algorithms um, to detect and repress the Uyghur population on, on images that, that are freely accept, accessible online. Mm-hmm. Um, many times we... So w- w- one thing that I found is very is very common is per, for parents to share a lot about their children with very good mm-hmm. intentions. We, we just want to reach out to friends and family and, and share very sweet things. Uh, but of course, companies will not always use that data in the best way and and this information can be very sensitive from somebody's birthday to Mm. information about their personality to challenges they might be facing health issues etc
0: yeah and um a little bit more about this what about these parents who post thousands of photos of their children online you know their children sleeping playing whatever and details that would make these children uh, once they are adults cringe like i don't know like johnny peed in the bed again facebook or something like that um how do you see this playing out do you think kids are going to start suing their parents when they turn into adults
1: yeah I, i'm sure we're going to see some of that so already there have been cases of uh for instance, there was a case in the Netherlands in which a couple of parents sued their the the mother of the of one of the parents mm-hmm. uh, so the grandmother of the child because the grandmother was was sharing too much on facebook and and they won um and I, I worry about on the one hand what that surveillance can do to children's psychology, Mm -hmm. what it feels like to grow up in a way in which everything you do can be used against you and can be used to publicly humiliate you or or expose you in a way that makes you feel vulnerable. Mm -hmm. I worry that that's going to bring up people who are very submissive that are just worried about protecting themselves and kind of staying out of the limelight as as much as possible rather than bringing up people who are curious who are willing to make mistakes and and risk things and and explore and grow it seems to me like privacy becomes very important during our teenage years because these are the years in which you are most curious about the world and exploring difficult and different topics and and you need some privacy to protect yourself from outside judgment and so on. So I worry about the psychology and how, how children are going to feel, but I also worry about what it's going to do to them, how it's going to mold their future. So for instance, you can infer a lot of things about somebody's cognitive abilities from how they play games. And most Mm. games today are online. A lot of them collect a lot of of data. And and how are those children going to be judged as adults when they look for a job, when they they become part of the the workforce?
0: Yeah, thank you, Chris. I worry about these things too. It's gonna be interesting to see how it plays out. Switching topics again, you alluded to this earlier, uh, speaking about September 11th, but how do governments exploit crises to take away the rights and privacies of a private citizen? Um, for example, you talked about September 11th, but more recently, um, the environment surrounding COVID-19, how might this be used to take away, uh, privacy of your regular everyday citizens?
1: So crises are always dangerous times because something very important is going on. Mm -hmm. Um, Citizens tend to be very distracted by whatever is going on, whether it's a a war or um, pandemic or something like that. Mm -hmm. And whenever citizens are distracted, it's easy for things to happen that they wouldn't have let happen had they not been distracted. Mm -hmm. And then you have politicians um, who are in a panic. Mm -hmm. who want to do something to fix the situation. Mm -hmm. And then you have other elements of the government, like intelligence agencies and so on, who always have a kind of pressure to control the situation, to try to control the situation. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And what is interesting to me is that, of course, you, you have some actors and some politicians who don't have good intentions, I'm sure, of course. Mm-hmm. But even if all parties have good intentions, you can still end up making grave mistakes that end up eroding democracy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and one of the ways in which this often gets gets done is, is through asking people to give up their privacy in exchange for security, whether mm-hmm. it's security from terrorism or security from a virus. Mm-hmm. And it's a very intuitive thing to ask for. It's very intuitive to think, yes, if the government knows everything about us, we'll be safe. But it just doesn't pan out that way. And mm. the shame is that we end up with less privacy and less security. So much worse off than we started.
0: Yeah, thank you so much, Carissa. Um, I would like to ask you, I, you don't cover this in your book necessarily, but I wanna know if you have any thoughts about Cryptocurrencies, specifically privacy oriented cryptocurrencies like Monero and Zcash, which are in the news in the United States today uh, as Joe Biden gets ready to sign a cryptocurrency bill. Um, and wondering if you have thoughts on whether these currencies are valuable tools for citizens who don't want financial institutions pouring over and selling their transactional data, or if you think these coins have value for anyone other than, say, criminals and drug dealers.
1: I don't cover it in the book because I'm still quite torn about it. I think Mm -hmm. it's just too early days to tell. Mm -hmm. Um, So one of the things I worry about is that blockchain by its very nature isn't very friendly towards privacy, despite Mm -hmm. what some people say. Mm -hmm. So the whole point about blockchain is that it creates a public record of every transaction. Mm -hmm. And even if you're anonymous, if you trace back every transaction, then you'll end up dis- discovering who is behind which transaction. And it might be more effortful or less, but it mm-hmm. seems to me like by, by its very nature, it, privacy is not its strength.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so of course there are techniques to try to shield that those the anonymity of those transactions, but it's mm-hmm. just unclear to me to what extent we can trust that.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much, Carissa. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out too. Um, well, finally, we have already talked about some of this, and this is the whole final chapter of your book. Uh, but for our listeners, what are some things that we haven't talked about yet uh, that they can do to take their data or control of their data back Um ownership of their data, et cetera. What can we do uh, to make this happen?
1: So some of it is cultural. We should fight this culture of exposure in which you are asked to give data all the time and you're asked to like, tell us what you think about every political issue. And you're asked to you know, share what you ate, today, and where you were, and who were you with, and so on. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we have to back off from people and allow them to have a private sphere. Because liberal democracy doesn't only depend on the government respecting our space, but also every citizen respecting each other's space. Mm -hmm. And that also means that, for instance, if you want to have a really good party, ask people not to take out their phones and certainly not to record anything or, or even take pictures and much less upload them. If you want to have a really interesting academic debate, turn off the cameras and, and microphones. Um, and if you want to have a really nice intimate uh, familial space, then leave the phones out of the um, living room or, or 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 at least some spaces and times in which we don't have these intermediaries or always spying on us, always listening in. Um, just try to do your best without going crazy. You don't have to be perfect um but even if we only have five to ten percent of people resisting that that has a huge effect, much more of an effect that, than people imagine. People imagine things like, well, oh, we need ninety percent of people to be perfect, and that's that's just not historically accurate when five to 10% of people change their practices and resist something, that's enough for things to change. And I think companies and governments are very sensitive right now towards privacy concerns. And we are at a historical time in which we can, we can make a huge difference. Um, So whenever you can, don't give up your data. If a company asks for data that they don't have a claim to, um, to have. So for instance, it's happened to me that I go for, to buy a clothing item at a physical clothing store and they ask for my email and I don't want to give it. And they say, well, I can't sell it to you unless I have an email. Mm-hmm. And of course, why, why would they need an email to sell sell me the scarf that is right there? Mm-hmm. And in that case, I give uh, a fake email, mm-hmm. uh, something like, uh, you know, uh, my email is private at, you know, private.com. um, Try to to use privacy friendly apps and websites and services. So instead of using WhatsApp, use Signal. Instead of using Gmail, use ProtonMail. Instead of using Google search, use DuckDuckGo. Contact your political representatives. Tell them that you care about privacy. Ask them what they're doing to protect it. Because at the end of the day, we need regulation. We can't solve this as individuals. And then incentivize companies to protect your privacy, both by choosing privacy-friendly products, but also by asking for your privacy and asking for companies to delete your data. Imagine if if, if just 5% of the population did that with the biggest companies. They'd go crazy. They, they wouldn't have enough um, organizational resources to even take care of that. Mm-hmm. So try, try your best. And obviously don't, don't violate other people's privacy. Don't uh, retweet or reshare a a message or some content that clearly violates someone's privacy. And in general, try to take every opportunity you can uh, to protect your privacy without making your life too difficult.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Carissa. And thank you for writing this immensely important book. I hope our listeners We'll look into it. I think the sort of laziness surrounding this issue is what has gotten us into some deep water, uh, the depths of which we are not even entirely aware of yet, and hopefully we can turn this uh, ship around before it's too late. Well, listeners, I've been speaking with Carissa Velis, author of Privacy is Power, Why and How You Should Take Back Control of Your Data, which is published by our friends at Melville House Publishing. Carissa. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thank you so much, Jason.
0: Once again, I would like to thank Carissa Velis for joining me. Copies of Privacy is Power can be ordered from www.quailridgebooks.com with free shipping. I would also like to thank our sponsor, Libro FM Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jefferies and this has been Bookin.